I've got to take full responsibility for this losing run. Like you say, at the start of last season, we went on a similar run and then we did turn it around and we have to turn it around now and we have to turn it around quick. Inter-Miami is heading into its bye week with a now five-game losing streak. And that has all eyes, yes, all eyes, on Phil Neville. Hello and hola to everyone y todos. Welcome back to the number one weekly and bilingual Inter-Miami focus podcast that provides you with all the latest news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more. Of course, I'm talking about... Miami Total Football Radio, also known as Miami Total Football Radio. I am one of your usual co-hosts. My name is Franco Penizo. If I sound a little funny or off, it's because I'm a little under the weather. Not too much, but a little bit under the weather. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, my co-host here, who is one of the usual members of the team, can help me pick up the slack, especially since uh, I've got some phlegm going on here. But... Joining me this week, and it's only one co-host, but I know he's got a lot to say. We've been talking on WhatsApp, and he's got quite a bit to say. I feel it. I feel it. Just based on the little things he said, reading between the lines, interpreting the meanings of what of his uh, riddles and his... Uh, yeah, he speaks in riddles sometimes, uh, and his sarcasm. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, a.k.a. if you still call him Cinco, well then Cinco. Jose, how are you doing today uh, i'm okay i'm just okay because you know obviously you know th- things are not going very well for inter miami and everything that i see around the team it's just making me um i don't know if upset is the right word but you know i'm just eager to get all my thoughts out there and um and, and yeah I, I i just couldn't wait to record I, I i gotta say that i was the one that proposed uh, <laughs> the recording to be done on monday when we usually do it like tuesday or wednesday sometimes mm-hmm. but i was actually ready to do it on sunday night <laughs> but yeah I, I mean it there's a lot to talk about you were you were and i think this is a great week to do the podcast early so i appreciate your suggestion and uh, how adamant you were about it because yes Jose was not joking on Easter Sunday um, he wanted to record he's like can we record tonight I'm ready um, I had plans so we could not but Monday we decided to to do it there's no game this weekend so we can focus strictly on this past weekend's game and the bigger picture for Inter Miami because yes they lost yet again and now that losing streak continues so we will talk about the defeat to FC Dallas we will talk about what some of the overarching issues are for Inter Miami. We'll talk about some of the things that they need to absolutely address during this two-week break before their next game. And of course, we will do the Q&A session and the final thoughts at the very end. Plenty of this talk will be about Phil Neville, of course, because that is probably the biggest talking point after this match. Not only because of his comments that he made post-game and you know taking responsibility for this bad run, but also just what's going on with the team. Why is this team not performing to the levels that people expect of them? You know, this, this wasn't necessarily a team that we predicted would be in the top spot in the Eastern Conference, but I think we all believe that they're more talented than what they've shown lately. More talented than 12th place in the Eastern Conference. 
At least I think so. But anyway, we'll dive into all of that in a bit. In a bit. Because we've got so much to talk about. Andrea Yanis Ajisita's missing this one. Which is uh, slightly a bummer. Because I think she would have been ready to throw some darts. But Jose sounds <laughs> eager. Jose sounds ready. Jose, let's get to it. All right, listeners. So Inter-Miami returned home this past Saturday to Drafting Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for a match against Western Conference side FC Dallas. Inter-Miami loses yet again. Fifth straight defeat in a row. Cinco al hilo. 1-0 result. Jesus Ferreira, the U.S. Men's National Team attacker, with the difference-making strike in the 27th minute. We'll talk about the performance. We'll talk about if that was a just result. This was the lineup Inter-Miami came out with. They changed it up. As we had been thinking was a possibility for several weeks now, Phil Neville returned to the back five. We always say this. You can call it a back three if you want. We'll call it a back five. So Drake Callender in goal, Robert Taylor, the right wing back, the three center backs from right to left, DeAndre Yedlin, Sergi Kristoff, and Christopher McVeigh, Franco Negri was the left wing back. The midfield line consisted of Bryce Duke, Gene Mota, and Nicolas Stefanelli. And up top you had the returning Leonardo Campana paired with Joseph Martinez. Jose We've talked about the results, we've talked about the goal, we've talked about the lineup. I know you've got plenty to say. We will dive into things more specifically in just a moment, but give me your overarching thoughts on the defeat, second straight at home, and the overall performance. I would say that, you know, it's it's another disappointing performance for Inter Miami. I think, you know, the formation uh, was just, uh, I, I think we all expected a, a formation change, especially when, you know, Campana became available and the team started selling Campana as the, you know, the main attraction. I think we all saw that when we noticed when we noticed what was going on in the last uh, the three days prior to the match. Everything in social media was about Campana returning. So, you know, I initially thought that Campana would not be a starter and that he will come on in, this, in the second half, Same. which... I think that would have been better for the team, but hey, you know, um, that's why they, they finished the, the the game without Joseph and without Campana. Not a lot of firepower at the top. Not that they mean goals necessarily at this point, but, you know, they're big names and they're supposed to be the ones to um, to, to score for this team. So I thought, you know, the, the formation was just uh, a mess. Like, honestly, when I was watching the game later that night, came home and started watching the game, and I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. I was talking to Andre, and I was like, "What is he doing? I mean, this is this is this is crazy bad." You know, remember the last game against Austin in preseason? We asked asked Phil about Franco Negri moving forward and leaving so much room behind. This is not something new. This is something that we've seen for for from preseason until this day. And, you know, there was no adjustment. It seems like, you know, McVeigh is on an island. Not my island, but on an island. <laughs> and, 
I mean, it's it's just all over the place. And and how about DeAndre Yedlin? You know, if you want to have success with DeAndre Yedlin on the field, take off some of the defensive responsibility because that's one of his weakness. You know, he's very good moving forward. He runs up and down the field. He might send a good service in a good crossing every now and then, but he's a player that can give they can give you they can open open the game for you on the right side. So Offensively, there's there's some things that you can take off DeAndre Yedlin, but defensively, putting him as a right center back, I mean, that's asking for trouble. And how about Robert Taylor again, reminding me of Lewis Morgan just a few months ago or years, a couple of years ago, honestly. Lewis Morgan playing out of position, same situation again here with Robert Taylor. So it's ongoing things with Inter Miami. It's not being able to solve the problem with Franco Neri on the left side, putting players out of position, and the head coach once again demanding answers from his players when, to be honest, he needed to ask answer questions as well about you know the tactics that he has been using, especially over the weekend. So I'm going to stop right there because I can keep going for like two hours. <laughs> we can tell. We can tell. I'm sure, I can tell. I'm sure the listeners can it's as frustrating. well. frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating to watch. It's, it's really frustrating. Now, ima- and look, now imagine I- if you're spending your hard-earned money. Jose, imagine you're spending your hard-earned money like a lot of the listeners are and uh, the fans that go to the stadium are. Imagine how yeah. frustrating it must be to them. To them, right? And that's part of it. That's part of it. I, I feel frustrated because of the fans. Because for me, listen, I go, I do my job, and then I come home, and it's fine with me. I move on. I have some other games to watch, some other stuff to do. For the fans, it's different. For the fans, it's different because they go out, and they go out disappointed. They paid money. They spent their time watching this team. I I, I just, I, I don't know how they do it, to be honest, at this point. So... Yeah, because sometimes you go and play Call of Duty to like kind of unwind. And and this one, you were right at it. Rewatching the game, sent me a picture on WhatsApp of you rewatching the game. And then you were like ready to record. I was like, Hosa showed uh, a hunger that Inter yeah. Miami, the type of hunger that Inter Miami could use up top right now. Because yeah, Hosa was was ready. Now I just, I, I want to tell you why. I want to tell you one of the reasons, other than what I everything that I said. Yeah, so I'll give you my thoughts on the performance. The first half, like Phil Neville said and admitted post-game, was the worst first half the Miami's had this season. It reminded me of the first halves that we saw uh, of previous iterations of Miami, where they just didn't look up for it, overmatched. The fact that they were down 1-0 and the fact that they lost this game 1-0 was a positive because they should have been down by more than one goal. Drake Callender turned in a heck of a performance. He was named as the the backup goalkeeper to the MLS Team of the Week. He was very, very good. And the only reason Inter-Miami did not lose this one by a lopsided margin. Because they should have lost this one 3-0, 4-0. It was that bad. It was that bad. There's a lot of reasons for it. You've touched on it. I mean, we'll dive into the formation. We'll dive into what Phil Neville might have been thinking there. No one got to ask him. Uh, post game about his game plan itself, the the initial game plan. I would have liked to have done it, but you have to make a decision either post game press conference or locker room. And I went to the locker room looking for some of the key figures, some of the referentes, who many of which uh, did not speak. And I think that's something that's notable and that we'll talk about a little later on as well. But yes, the performance was very poor. 
very, very poor in that first half. Uh, first half haphazard to me. Players looked confused. Team didn't look comfortable. Second half things picked up, especially once Phil Neville returned to the 4-2-3-1. He put Pizarro as the 10. Pizarro helped a bit. Also have to acknowledge that FC Dallas started throwing, uh, started dropping their lines and, and, and being more defensive minded and just looking to protect the lead and then trying to counter, especially late on when they switched to, to a back five. So Inter Miami improved in the second half, but they were never close to pulling level. And based on the balance of play and the run of play, they should have never even been close. To try, almost getting a point out of this one. Uh, they were deserved losers. Deserved losers based on what we saw. And there's a lot that the team has to address. There's, you know, Phil Neville needs to look in the mirror. Inner Miami, the players, the whole, the whole organization needs to look deep in the mirror and ask some very serious and tough questions. We'll a- ask some of those questions here. And we'll talk about what we think. Right? Because like Jose said, we don't necessarily have the right answers. We're just going to say what we think. Whether you agree, disagree, this is just our opinions based on how we see the game. But let's start with that formation, Jose. Because it's clear that Inter-Miami was looking to free up the wingbacks, right? To have a little bit more service to the strikers. Because there's not really a, a true number 10. Stefanelli... I thought at first he was. It looked like he was playing behind the strikers, like a like a number ten, occupying that role. But then we saw him out on the left, and you know it looked like he he had freedom to go between both places, either to play centrally and tuck in, or to drift out wide and 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 play from there. But it, it just did not work, and I don't understand the player personnel that was chosen for this formation because you have center backs. You have center backs. You you want to control uh, the game and have the ball. I get that. But if you're going to go with a back five, why would you put DeAndre Yedlin as a right center back? That, to me, is Phil Neville out of answers. That, to me, is Phil Neville so confused with how to get the best out of this team and finding the right combination of players in the right system that he's just trying to reinvent the wheel. And it did not work. Yedlin looked confused. Yedlin looked lost. At times he was drifting out wide. At times he was playing centrally. It was. It looked very unorthodox. It looked very chaotic. It looked very just perplexing. And uh, it was. It was a really hard first half to watch from an Inter Miami standpoint because there was no clear tactical idea. No clear idea. Like what was Inter Miami trying to do with the ball? All they did was get down the wings and cross it in to. Joseph or to Campana, who were surrounded by three, four, five defenders. So it, it was a perplexing first half overall. Phil Neville definitely, definitely got it wrong. That's what they worked on all week. That's what, you know, you, you train during the week to prepare for the weekend game. And that's what they worked on, and that's what they came out and delivered. I mean, we can talk about the player performances, and we will. But that first half is on Phil Neville more than it is on anybody, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is on him. And, and to be honest, it, it, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable because this team is, is losing four games in a row. They come home against FC Dallas, which, you know, it's an OK team, but they were not overly impressive. Um, and you come out flat. I mean, 
that is completely unacceptable. And that is the first thing that Phil said in the press conference. He even acknowledged that his team was bad in the first half. You expect any team in the world. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter the sport. When you lose four games in a row, in the fifth game, when you're playing at home against a team that you can win against, you really have to go for it. I mean, if Inter Miami scored two goals in the first half, I would have told you, okay, that's what I expected. That's what I expect them to them to do to have a 2-0 lead here they're playing at home everything is going their way they get their their striker back i mean everything should have been in inter miami's favor on saturday night and it wasn't why wasn't it because the, the players were just not ready and they were not in the right system because that was a mess a complete mess i don't know for how long they did work on that but it's clear that if they want to do it again they need more work in, in training. And one more thing, you know, it, it's it, and we talk about this for a while now, but the four the, the four four two formation with the diamond, where is that? Where is that? I mean, if you worked on that for so long, you have your two strikers ready. I mean, then what's what's preseason for here? What's preseason? What what was all 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 that work that you put in? And this is something that Phil said. He said it. We worked hard on the four four two formation, on the diamond. You have your two strikers. You know you're gonna have Campana for sixty minutes. Then where is your four four two? Why are you not using that formation that you work so hard on? And this is not me telling you that they work hard on that. This is me telling you what Phil said to us. He worked hard on that 4-4-2 formation. So if you work so hard, if there is trust within that formation, why don't you use it? And then again, Yetlin playing as a, a right center back. Is there no trust in Mabika or Sailor? Or is it so hard to get Yetlin out of the lineup? What is it? I mean, it's, it's pretty clear to me. It's pretty clear. It's This is on Phil. This is on Phil. He needs to take responsibility for it. Again, to me, it's a clear sign. Yeah, them playing as a right center back when he's... I don't think he's ever played during his career. He's a right back, a right wing back. At times, he's played right midfield. you know. But clearly, he's not a center back. Very clearly. So playing as a right center back is just... Again, to me, it's a clear indication that Phil Neville's at a loss right now. That he's lost the plot and trying to find the best team possible. He has just gone completely off off the grid in terms of, you know, what we could have expected. Because, listen, Inter-Miami, they take the equipo chico approach. They take the the small team mindset. Because when the lineup came out, it just has the list of names. It doesn't have a formation. It doesn't show it. I thought 4-4-2 diamond based on the personnel. Gambana and Joseph Martinez starting together for the first time this season. I thought it was going to be the diamond. And it's not. It's a 5-3-2. With Robert Taylor and Franco Negri as the wingbacks. The midfield playing in a straight line. The striker partnership very separated from the rest of the team. And it just it just did not work. It did not work. Again, they should have been down more than 1-0 because they would lose the ball quickly. FC Dallas would counter. And you said you didn't think FC Dallas was that good. I thought FC Dallas was good at what they were trying to be good at, which was just... Forcing Inter-Miami to mistakes and then counter very quickly into the open spaces, which Inter-Miami left a lot of. And they led to a lot of chances. A lot of chances. Because of the setup. Absolutely. I mean, setup, Absolutely. I mean Nico Steves won the battle tactically this time. 
Oh, Phil was out coached absolutely 100%. I don't but Phil didn't even give himself a chance with that formation he put out there. This reminded me of the game where where and that this this comparison makes even more sense than than what we saw this past Saturday. When he put Brett Shea as the left center back in a back five in one game, uh, oh, I think in 2020 or 20 yeah, 2020 I think. It was. No, sorry, 2020. In 2021. I believe it was 2021. Oh, we, we like it makes more sense cuz Brett Shea has some height, you know, like I could understand that a little bit more than DeAndre Yedlin playing as a as a right center back. But listen, they didn't lose the game because DeAndre Yedlin played at right center back. It's not DeAndre Yedlin's fault they lost the game. But to me, it's just I, I harp on it because it's a clear sign of Phil Neville overthinking things as opposed to simplifying things in the midst of a four-game, which is now five-game, losing streak. If, if you really look at the lineup, Franco, and, you know, if, if we set Drake Callender's a, um, Drake, Drake Callender apart, I think the 10 players on the field, other, other than Drake Callender, of course, the 10 players, they did not perform at their level. Right. And when that happens, when that happens, you coach. have you have to look at the coach, right? Like, it's not, it's not like some players played well and the other one's, like, disappointed. No. When that many players play poorly, I'm with you 100%. That's on the coach. I mean, this situation where it's pretty clear. I mean, what we're seeing here, I would hope a lot of people are thinking the same way from 9.30 p.m. on fr- on Saturday night until whenever they're listening. Because this is pretty clear. I mean, if, you, if you've been watching soccer for a year or two, you probably know this already. I mean, it's pretty clear. Look at the names on the field for Inter-Miami and the expectations were set high because especially in the starting lineup that, that they put out there on Saturday, there was talent there. There is talent within this team. So, so let's 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 quickly go at the let's let's like dissect the lineup, right? Cuz there's let's see 1 2 3 4 5 6, right? Six players that I would consider attacking players. And Franco Negri, who attacks very well, I will, I'm not counting him. So I'm talking Mota, Duke, Taylor, Stefanelli, Campana, Martinez. Clearly, although they switched to a back 5, the onus to me is on attacking. Now, he goes with the back, you know, with three center backs to try to help shore up things defensively because they're going to have spaces in behind with that many attackers. But it was so so disjointed, the idea just didn't pan out. And I get it, they don't have Gregory, so he's probably looking for a way to, to plug that hole and, and fill that void. But then the team just, it doesn't make sense. You have six attackers and four defenders... But yeah, you're asking one of those defenders to get very involved in the attack, and it it, it was just a mess. It was it was as, it was as bad a managed uh, yeah. a first half as I've seen from Phil Neville. And Phil Neville's had some very some very big stinkers during his time with Inter Miami. I would take the Gregory excuse on on an away game. I won't take it at home because at home you need to have possession. You have enough players to be dynamic, you have several situations going your way. And that's why this team has been successful in Fort Lauderdale. They have been successful. And they have they, they have been successful even on, on nights that Gregory didn't play at 100% or didn't play at a high level. They have been successful. Now, away from home, yeah, I, I see how Gregory is a big miss because they 
you play more defense and, you know, you want to stay organized and he really helps on that. But playing at home and not having sense of urgency, that's not because Gregory's not on the field. That's not because of Gregory. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think that the idea behind the game plan, right? I think, because again, we, nobody got to ask one level about the game plan and what the game plan was. We can only surmise and come up with our suppositions or our sensations as to what it was. But to me, when you have that many attacking players on the field, regardless of what position they're in, I think they were looking to overwhelm FC Dallas. I think that's I think that's what Phil Neville's idea was. But it just did not work because it doesn't make sense. You have six attacking players, but you've got one that's playing as a right wing back who doesn't play as a right wing back. You've got a right back playing as a right center back. You've got Bryce Duke and Chinmota who are eights. Neither of them is a six. So you've got a lot of attacking and very little defending in actual positions to defend. Right? Because Yedlin's playing as a right center back out of position. Franco Negri's playing as a left wing back, which he can play, but he's asked to, to, to move forward. So who are your actual pure defenders out there? McVeigh and Kristoff. And Inter Miami wasn't even close enough near, nor comfortable enough, nor clean enough, nor sharp enough with the ball in this setup. They didn't feel comfortable enough to, to make it work. It just It's on Phil. I'm, I'll say that time and again. This one is on Phil. We can talk about the overarching themes over this five-game losing streak. How much responsibility falls on Phil there. And we will talk about that here in a moment. But this was a disaster of a first half. Ugly. I think on the right system, this team should perform. The team that, that you know, the, the group, the 11 starters that he put out there on Saturday, under the right system, they should perform. There's no question about it. But if not on the right, if they are not on the right system, you know, it's it, it's really hard to ask more from them. Because think about Nigiri. Nigiri looked more like a left winger. Think about uh, Mota trying to start the buildup right in between the two center backs. And this happened several times. So think about Nigiri being way at the top on the left side and think about Mota picking the ball right between the two center backs. How in the world is Mota going to connect with Negri through the wing? How? If Dallas is jam-packed through the middle. Almost impossible to do it. Then Robert Taylor on the right side, he didn't know where to, when to go, when to stay. It's the system. Franco, at this point, I think it's pretty clear it's the system. Under the right system, I think Robert Taylor is a, is a very good um, right winger. Well, and I think he can be very successful here. Jose, what I, what I think happened is that Inter Miami's been playing largely in a 4-2-3-1 through the first few weeks of the season. But it hasn't really worked. One of the reasons for that, Joseph Martinez is up top. He's not playing well. We'll dive into that in a moment. We have for several weeks. And I think in the game... Where Inter Miami had Campana back, I think the game where you could play a 4-2-3-1 or you could play the 4-4-2 diamond, I think because of the pressure and the situation that Inter Miami's in, I think Phil Neville just overthought it. Overthought it completely. Instead of being like, okay, now I have Campana back. Now I can operate with two strikers if that's what he wants to do. He could have also gone 4-2-3-1 and just gone with Campana from the start if, that's, if, if Campana was healthy enough to start here. But I think he just overthought it. I think the, the situation got got the better of him. Like the, the string of the recent results 
blinded him from what he actually had available. Because it easily could have been a 4-4-2 time. It could have been a 4-2-3-1. Pizarro was dropped from this, which wasn't overly surprising for us. We had been predicting for a couple weeks now, based on Phil Neville pulling Pizarro out of games early, substituting him early, that Pizarro was a candidate to be dropped, even though we thought he was playing well, or better than some of his other teammates. Now, switching gears, because look, we've talked about how much space they gave up, they were attacked repeatedly, Dre Callender had to make multiple saves, I think he finished with seven, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in this one. The attack did not score yet again. Yet again. And this time was with Campana and Joseph Martinez. There was no true 10. Again, Stefanelli tucked in a little bit at times and looked like a 10, but then other times he was playing out wide on the left. I think the idea was to have the wingers feed the strikers. Not sure how great of a tactic that is when Campana has some size to him, but Joseph doesn't really. Joseph has, can get, has a good vertical. He can get up. But I just don't think that that suits this team. This team is meant to keep the ball on the ground, the way it's constructed. This team is meant to, to have intricate passing uh, sequences and just long ball after long ball after hopeful cross after hopeful cross. It just didn't work. FC Dallas was all over it. It was predictable. It was easy to defend against. Again, I think tactics were a big part of it. Yes, Joseph Martinez did not play well again. Campana looked as rusty as you might expect for a player who has not played in six weeks. But I think the tactics play a big part in that. Because you know that about Campana. You know he hasn't played in six weeks. You know Joseph Martinez is struggling. And you go with that tactic. I think that left a lot to be desired. Um, yeah, but, you know, he needs to acknowledge as well that, you know, this Joseph Martinez is not the same Joseph Martinez that got paid DP money to score goals. Inter Miami is not paying him DP money to score goals. The contract that they gave Joseph Martinez is not the one of a player that was scored 20 goals in a season. So this is a different Joseph Martinez. It's just different, you know? So you got to know what you got. This is Joseph Martinez that's coming in after an injury that almost took him out of the game, you know, a few years ago. And last year he had some other injuries as well. So... At this point, to be honest, you really have to be thankful that Jose Martinez is available. You just need to wait him out. And like I said before the start of the season, I didn't expect Jose Martinez to score more than 10 goals this year. Leonardo Campana is the name that you need to look for when it comes to goals. Campana needs to score over 15 goals, and then you get seven from Joseph, and then you're okay. That's the way to go here. But obviously, Campana... He shouldn't have started this game because you knew and, and, and FC Dallas knew as well that Campana would only play 60 minutes. I mean, that, that was pretty clear. Campana was not playing 90 minutes after being out for so long. So those, those are things that are easy to figure out, easy to figure out. And saying to the media that they get paid to score goals when they are, in a, they are struggling, I don't think that's going to sit well with the, with the locker room as well. How do you think Joseph Martinez will take that? I think he wouldn't like that. I mean, I think he's also about Stefanelli, Pizarro to an extent. 
I don't think it's just a strength. Sutter has never been a goal scorer, by the way. I mean, he's never, never been, but he's a DP. He's, he's, you know, one of the more experienced players. So I think it's he doesn't score goals. Gregory, Gregory, st- DP. I still think I still think that's where that's what that's who Phil Noble's talking about. I think it's those four. Would you demand goals from Gregory because he's a DP? It's different though. It's different. He's a he's not a defensive midfielder. Pizarro's not a defensive midfielder. You know, the, the uh, I checked this stats for Pizarro. And, and and I will let you guess. Best season when when it comes to goals for Pizarro. What's your guess? Ever? Or with yeah. Inter Miami? His career. In his career. Oh man. Seven. In league play. That's the high highest scoring season for him in his career. Seven. Are you the, are you going to demand goals from him? Listen, I'm not demanding goals from him. I think Phil Neville is. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Phil. I mean, is it right for you to to put Pizarro out there and ask him for goals? Is it really is it really necessary to do that when you know he can't score ten goals in a season? He just can't. And that's when he was, and that's when he was playing at a better level, at a higher level. Because right now he's not he's not the same player he was a few years ago. I think Phil Neville was so desperate in trying to end the four game losing streak that again. He didn't see some of the obvious things. He overthought it. And that's something that he has to look at himself and, you know, be autocritico, uh, be, be self-critical, I guess, is, is how you would translate that to English. Yeah. And realize that he needs to simplify things. And, and overall, to be fair... Overall. Even, be- even with Franco Negri. Even with Franco Negri. Because they're asking him to do so much in the attack... That they're leaving spaces in behind, that's fine. That's that's how you want to play. Okay, that's gonna that's going to potentially leave you exposed. So you have to be aware of that, and you have to be able to put out those fires. Christopher McVeigh is not doing a good job of putting out those fires. And I broke this down on Twitter on Sunday. I went through all eight goals and Miami surrendered eight goals this year. Four of them have come from the run of play, and those four have very similar patterns. If you haven't seen my tweets or you, you don't know what I'm talking about, go on Twitter at Franco Panizo and look for those tweets. They're not going to need to be too far down uh, because they were tweeted on Sunday. I posted each of these four goals with their respective uh, videos push-tweeted so you can you can see what I'm talking about. The patterns are the same. They might be a little bit different in, in at some points in the makeup, but the patterns of, of the breakdowns are the same. It's teams attacking Inter-Miami's left side. And then it's low crosses to the back post. And the right back, whether it's been DeAndre Yedlin or Harvey Neville, they haven't anticipated well enough. They haven't reacted well enough. McVeigh also hasn't done his part in covering for Negri, who's being tasked to push forward. Can't blame Franco Negri for leaving his spaces behind him when that's what he's being asked to do by the coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that not having Gregory is a loss. Absolutely. Maybe Gregory helps put away some of those fires. But he's not there. And he's not going to be there for some time. So Inter Miami has to adjust that. They have to tweak that. Because four goals have been given up in very similar fashion. The other four, by the way, which I also broke down. It's all in the same Twitter thread. But this was like a secondary note. The other four have all come from, come from set pieces. And this is a side note. And this isn't... I don't know how much you can put this on Phil Noble. I mean, maybe Chris Henderson deserves uh, some of the blame here as well. He shoulders some of the responsibility. The other four goals are offset pieces. 
Inter Miami and losing Osali Guayin brought in technical players who can provide something to the attack, right? You lose Iguain, you lose something to the attack. You lose some goals, you lose some technical ability, you lose some vision. Probably don't lose a whole lot of speed because he was definitely clearly not the fastest at that point, uh, not that he ever was. But in, in looking to replace him and in bringing in these technical players with attacking qualities, Inter-Miami has become an undersized team. And Jose, I remember you... Uh, making the very astute observation in the final preseason game against Austin FC when Inter Miami lined up for the the pregame anthem, you're like, man, that's a short team. Yes, they are undersized, and now on set pieces, they're mismatched, and they're giving up goals because they're mismatched. So it might be time for Phil Level to do away with the idea that this has to be this. Uh, very attack-minded team, very technical team. I'm not saying go completely defensive here. I think it's commendable that he tried to throw out attacking tactics and be the protagonist with the ball, and I think you can still do that to an extent, but you've got to pump the brakes a little bit and and simplify things defensively for this group. Because I've said this from, from preseason, Jose, and you, you were giving me some stick about this. I was like, I think Phil Noble is now overcorrecting it. I think Phil Noble was going too far the other way. And this is something I will say before we switch gears to, to Joseph Martinez and, and you know his form. You know, Phil Neville after the game said some players are, he thinks some players are too comfortable in the team. Like alluding to the fact that they're too comfortable with their starting positions. And he said that there would be changes by the time the next game rolls around. Which I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I think a lot of it falls on Phil. Phil Neville is a young head coach. Jose, if I asked you right now, based on what you've seen for two seasons and change from Phil Neville in his first head coaching job of a men's team, what would you say is Phil Neville's identity? I think what happened towards the tail end of last season, and I wrote this in a piece that you can read on Miami Total Football Substack on Monday. I wrote this. I think when last season, when they were up against it, and they had to start winning games to make the push for the playoffs, and they did start winning games, thanks in part to an inspired Gonzalo Higuain and a very impacting uh, midseason signing in Alejandro Pozuelo. I think that that put a light bulb over his head in, in thinking that, okay, the way to win an MLS is to attack, and attack and attack. And now he's gone, like I've said, for weeks, going back to prison, they've gone too far the other way with it. They have lost... A defensive balance. Now, the defense isn't why they're losing games. They held FC Dallas to one goal. But the overall funcionamiento, the overall performance levels from the team, are not good enough across the board. And I think the tactics have a big part to do with that. Players share their responsibility as well because they're not performing. But I think you have to put your players in positions to succeed. And I don't think Phil Neville's doing that. Look, Phil Neville is a young head coach, still in the early stages of his head coaching career. I have no idea what Phil Neville's identity is. I really don't. I could guess, but I don't know what his identity as a coach is. Now, in different games, you alter it for your opponent and this and that, but usually there's like an overarching identity, and I have no idea what that is for Inter-Miami under Phil Neville. We've seen a defensive team. We've seen an attacking team. 
Cena Tina no juega nada at times. Tina doesn't play anything, doesn't offer or propose anything with the ball. I don't know what his philosophy overall really is. And I think he's still defining what type of coach he is. And I think we got to get to this point because we haven't talked about it. There's plenty of fans already asked, clamoring for Phil Neville to be let go yet again. And I don't think yeah. that that's I don't think that that's uh, a wrong opinion. I think that that's a fair opinion. I think that's a fair criticism because listen, Inter Miami's in a five game losing streak. The franchise record is six. That happened twice. It happened twice under Phil Neville in 2021. That's when the record was set. So Inter Miami has had long losing streaks under Phil Neville with two different iterations of this team. In 2022, they had a four-game losing streak. That was the longest they had. But they, they've gone on long losing streaks under Phil Neville. I think Phil Neville is still defining who he is as a coach. And I think that the, the match from jump was never a good one. Because Inter Miami is not a team, nor an organization, that even though, yes, they're, they're a young franchise. But the expectations are high. And Phil Neville has acknowledged this time and time and again. So with that, with those expectations and with that fan pressure, it's not made to have a young head coach who needs to develop and figure out what kind of coach he is. They needed someone that was established. They needed someone that was going to come in here and introduce their identity. Not that was going to learn and figure it out and make mistakes, right? Like just so you put a young player out on the field, they're going to make mistakes because they're learning. Phil Neville's making mistakes because he's learning. I don't think this was ever, and we're going way back now, but I don't think this was ever a good match. I think you're seeing Phil Neville's growing pains as a head coach, and it so happens to be with Miami, who does not want to go through these phases, but they made, they made this decision. You know, sometimes you just have to adjust to the players you have and not force the player to adjust to the, an idea that you have in place and that you think is going to be successful. I think we've seen good things about Stefanelli, and um, um, I think they just have he he's he's one player that coming in. He I don't see consistency from him in terms of okay, you're gonna play this role, and I want you to be at your best here because he's moving around all over the field, and I think he can be good, but but you know he's up and down in his performance because. You know he's moved. He's moved around, and and I think there's there's another situation that can explain this even better. And, and I think it's Franco Neri. I think we all like Franco Neri, right? I think you know as he moves forward, he he looks really good. The goal he scored um, a couple of weeks ago was just outstanding. A lot of quality there. But you know he's setting setting him up for failure. Talking about Phil, defensively. Because, you know, most of the time, uh, playing as a left wing back, when, when, when you look for Franco Negri, he's chasing. When, he tries, when he's trying to play defense, he's chasing all the time. And, and it would be easy for people to say, well, he's late and he's not. Because he's, he's being asked to do more offensively. Right. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Because uh, on the goal, right, the goal comes in against FC Dallas uh, where he gets burnt. He gets toasted on his flank, on the dribble. And it, it's in a one-on-one, like, defensive battle. Or a one-on-one battle. But I think because he has so many offensive responsibilities, that impacts how much defensively he can offer you. So I agree with you. I agree with you 
fully. Because guess what? If Franco Negri was playing 5, 10 yards deeper and not tasked with going forward so much, then he can focus more on keeping the guy in front of him. But because he has so many responsibilities in terms of the attack, I think it's negatively impacting his defensive abilities. And the, and the same thing will happen if DeAndre Yedling continues to play as a right center back. I don't think we're going to see that again. No way. No, I mean, uh, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the Franco Nady situation applies not only to him, but to other players within the team. And I would add this I would add Bryce Duke to the list. I think Bryce Duke is not ready to be a six or an eight. He's not reliable there. He's a 10. He's playing out of position. Robert Taylor playing out of position. And we probably can keep going here. So we just, I just mentioned four players. But let's say there are three that I, I, I would guess we can, we can both agree on. Negri, Taylor, and Yedlin, based on what we saw this weekend. So, Franco, I mean, how am I going to ask Franco Negri to play consistent as consistent as he has been able to do to, to play offensively? How can I ask him the same thing defensively? It's impossible. It's impossible. No left wing back in the world can do that. Marcelo, one of the top left wing backs for years in Real Madrid. He was outstanding moving forward, but you knew that he couldn't play defense unless he was playing as a left back. That's the perfect example. So, you know, and I would say one more thing. We have talked about Phil a lot here. But there's also responsibility on the rest of the coaching staff. We cannot let them out of the conversation. Because if, as an assistant, if you think, if you see things that are not going the right way, it's on them as well to tell the head coach, listen, there's something not working here. But maybe they do, Jose. Maybe they do. And look, at the end of the day, Phil Neville makes the decisions. I'm sure he takes input from everybody on his coaching staff. You know, whether it's the the numbers of the players, right? They wear the those those uh, chalecos, those those uh, bibs or those heart monitor things under their jerseys or under their training tops. So he gets you know feedback from the analysts. He gets feedback from assistants. I'm sure he gets it all, but it's up to Phil Neville at the end of the day to make the decisions. He's the one paid to make those decisions. So maybe you're right. Maybe there's not enough good feedback from the assistants, but maybe there is Jose and maybe it's Phil Neville just going with what he thinks. I agree. It's a collective effort and, and players coaching. It, it, it all deserves some blame. We've said a lot about Phil because I think it is Phil that has a bulk of a chunk of it, but let's let's go to some players. Let's go to some players because again, Phil Neville said after this game that some players feel comfortable. We can agree with that a little bit or disagree with it to some extent. Who do you think those players are? Who do you think the players that he's talking about that could be out of the lineup? I've got four names in my mind. For you, who who do you have as the players that he might have been alluding to there? I think Joseph is one of them. Absolutely. Joseph is one of them. But, I mean, how can you blame Joseph uh, for feeling comfortable when, you know, Campana is not available? Well, so that's where, again, so that's, that's, where, I go with, that's where I go with Phil again. That, and, I, and I wrote this today. 
Joseph Martinez has shown you time and again that he's not ready to lead a front line. He has shown you that over the past few weeks. The last week's podcast was, it's time to bench Joseph, because he just hasn't inspired enough confidence up top to make you think that he's going to turn this around right now, that he's going to score. Anymore, he's not that. And yet, and, and yet, despite that, Phil Neville continues to go to him. So while yes, Joseph Martinez to me shoulders responsibility for not putting in chances that because he's had some chances. It's not like he hasn't had any. You can say he hasn't had a plethora or a bunch of chances because the tactics and the uh, and the playing style haven't led to that. But with the chances that he has had, he hasn't done well enough with them. So he absolutely shoulders some responsibility. There's also, I think, questions about whether. Uh, how fit he is and how focused he is. I absolutely think there's questions about that. My opinion. But if you keep turning to him, if you keep turning to him, despite him showing you low performance levels, then that's on you. That's on the coaching staff. Schneider Borgelin is deserving of a start at this point. And maybe we'll see that. So Joseph Martinez, absolutely. I think that's one. Who are some others that you think Phil Neville was talking about? I've got some names. I think, I think Yetlin could be could be one as well. I agree. I agree with DeAndre Yetlin. Yep. Yetlin Yetlin can be one, but then again, Harvey is he ready to start? Really to be a consistent starter? I don't to know. But, but y- DeAndre Yetlin for a starting job? I don't know. He but you it. need you got but you have to spark that. You might have to spark that fire uh, under Yetlin uh, by putting him on the bench. You've got, like he hasn't been playing well. And maybe he's not giving us been given as much license to roam forward because Negri's been doing that. But Yedlin just hasn't looked good. He, defensively, he hasn't been good. I think Yedlin is absolutely in that conversation of players that could get benched. I think Harvey Neville, and it, it won't look good for some people because it is Phil Neville's son. But in on this scenario, in this case, I think it's warranted. I think DeAndre Yedlin merece ser banqueado, and maybe that revitalizes him or, or motivates him and gets him gets him going again to playing to the level that he can play to because it hasn't been there to this point in the season. Now, he did have a baby. Maybe that's taken some of the focus off of, off of the field, but at the end of the day, he's paid to produce. He's not producing. I think he's absolutely in the conversation. Who else? I would say McVeigh. You know, I, I talked about McVeigh last year. Like, you know, one of the guys that, you know, he really showed good things in sacrificing for the team playing as a left back. And I really thought he would have a better performance moving back to the center back position. But even with Christoph right next to him, which I think he he's not the problem, I think McVeigh is not performing. McVeigh is not performing. And... Uh, I don't know how well is Sailor doing physically, if he's maybe lingering with an injury or if there's something going on, but I think he really deserves a, an opportunity because Sailor, he, Sailor moved past Mavika very easily. You know, Sailor really, really showed promising signs. He looks just I, more I, polished, I, more polished than Mavika. Yeah. So I, I won't say that he's going to be a starter for the national team. I'm not saying that. But I think he deserves an opportunity in Inter Miami. So I, I will go with. I'm with you yet again, Jose. I don't know if you read my piece or what, but uh, we're or maybe it's just that obvious. I agree. I agree with you again. McVeigh is absolutely, even though I think he's a, he's a good effort guy. I don't think he's playing anywhere near as sharp as he needs to be. 
especially covering for Negri, who, again, is bombarding forward and asking to make more running runs into the attack, leaving spaces in behind. McVeigh hasn't been good enough. Hasn't been good enough. So that's those those are three. Any more names? Because I've got another couple. I don't. I think one. I, got, I think one. You're not going to agree with me on because you've said some other things about that player. But go ahead. Uh, my my last player on that list would be Duke. I agree I yet again. Duke, yet again. Duke is not is not performing. But I would say this. I don't think this this is uh, that's on his position. Duke. You don't think that's his position? No, he's a ten. He's a ten, and and especially at this point in his career, he makes mistakes. He's going to give the ball away. So you have to be ready. You need to have a backup plan when he loses the ball. But that's the job of a 10. Sometimes, you know, not every, every single pass is going to be beautiful and perfect. You know, you're going to miss sometimes. And and Duke is a 10. And by the way, I really hated that 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 Phil put out the, the conversation between the two of them out there. Just because, um, okay, so Leo Campana was not a DP. But he performed at a high level. And now he's a DP, right? Young DP, but a DP, a DP still. So why is Bryce Duke not capable of doing the same? They don't see what? that potential in him. They don't see that potential in him. Uh, very quickly, very quickly. I, one more topic, talking point with regards to Miami that I think is an issue. But before we get there, I want to say one name that I know you're not going to disagree. And we can go back and forth for a while here. I think Stefanelli's in that conversation of players that could be benched soon. I like the qualities I've seen from him. I think in a different system with different responsibilities, different funciones, I think he could be very good in MLS. But with the way Villanova wants to play, I don't know where he fits. He's not a true 10. He hasn't been asked really to play as a true winger, which I think could suit him. You know, he's played up top. I don't think that's that's his position either. I think under a different coach and a different system, Stefanelli would, would thrive a little more. I think right now he's on the cusp of being one of those players that could get dropped because he's just not performing well enough. That's just my opinion. You don't really have enough to drop four or five players from from your starting I mean, record. I think it's going to take an overhaul. I think Phil Neville's going to have to change the overall approach a good bit. I'm not saying he's going to be drastic. I'm not saying Inter Miami's going to turn into a counterattacking team overnight. But I think the approach is going to change. I, I think that they has it has to change, and I think that's going to bring, you know give a chance. Like like he said, you know he didn't say names. Phil Neville didn't name names to his credit. He didn't say any names specifically in on post game on Saturday. But I think you're looking at Borgelin potentially starting. I think Ariel Lasseter could potentially get a start. I think Ryan Saylor could get a start. Victor Uyoa could come back in. They may have to sacrifice some of that attacking mindset and mentality and some of that technical qualities that they've tried to integrate into the group this year to get back to basics. Because that's what they have to do. Because this is not working. They're on a five-game losing streak also. They lose again. They've tied the franchise record for consecutive losses in MLS play. I, I think he said that in the heat of the moment. And we might see one change, two at the most, in two weeks against Houston. Road game, by the way. And Houston playing really well at home, surprisingly, under Bernalson. But I would say they don't have enough to make four or five changes in, in the starting lineup. I say these and, are candidates. These are candidates. I'm not saying they're all going to go. But these and are all if candidates. he plays as a winger, then he'll give you more. But that's what I'm saying. I think they're going to change. I think we're going to see an overall change in approach because this approach hasn't worked. And look, Phil Noble has made adjustments before, and it's, it's worked to improve the team. He's done it before, 
I think I think he has it in him to do it again. If he is honest with himself and the coaching staff and they admit where they've gotten it wrong, I think we'll see a change in approach. And if we don't, then I think Inter Miami's in a lot of trouble. Changing one or two pieces, I don't think solves the overall issues here. In my opinion. But Franco, the diamond was working. They, they maybe maybe them. not having Gregory has scared them away from the diamond. Maybe that's what's happened. And maybe that's why they're going after this Ecuadorian Dixon Arroyo. We'll talk about him in the final segment, part of the final thoughts, so we don't make this podcast way too long. But maybe that's what's what's happened, Jose. Maybe without a true defensive midfielder, which they I mean, Uyo is the only one on the roster right now that's a true defensive midfielder that's healthy. But he's not at that he's not at Gregory's level. And maybe that's what's happened. Maybe. That's just a supposition on my part. That's not information. Jose, one final thing I want to t- touch on with you and talk about. We can do it quickly. Something that I also noted, right? Because I noted Phil Neville can't find the team and he can't find the tactics in my piece on Miami Total Football Substack. I also touched on players not performing. Before you mentioned plus Stefanelli, so five. I also talked about, I don't think there's a true leader on this team right now. Losing Gregory has not only hurt them defensively on the field, I think it's also taken away a true leader from this group. And I don't think that there is a clear answer as to who's the next man up in terms of leading this team. DeAndre Yedlin has been wearing the captain's armband. But is he really a captain? Is he captain material? He has experience, absolutely. Is he someone that play, young players turn to and he's kind of taking them under his arm? Some of them, yeah. But is he captain material? Does he have esa personalidad, that personality uh, is he the type of player that that rallies the troops and 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 leads by uh, you know by barking orders on the field and motivates players in that way? I don't think so. And we've talked about uh, this. We t- so you you think you think DeAndre Edlin's captain material? I think he can be a captain. Yeah, I think he can be a captain. I think he's a regular starter, which is something that you know really helps. You know, Victor Oyo, I would put him on that list just because he has been here for a while, but he doesn't play, so you know it's hard to lead that way. Um, so if if we look at starters, and I think you, you, there's there's Yetlin, and you know you don't have a lot more unless you know Christoph. He he doesn't look like he has that personality. He's a, he has a track record to to be a captain here, but. You know, I, I just, I just think there's, there's not a lot of choices. There's not a lot of choices. There's not a lot of choices. And, and, there isn't. And Joseph can become a captain. He can become a leader. But once he starts scoring, okay. if he doesn't score, you know, he's gonna start getting frustrated, and, and he's gonna start looking for excuses. Look, Yedlin to me is a good locker room guy. Absolutely. I don't think there's any denying that. But I don't think he's captain material. I don't think he's ever been captain material in his career just doesn't give me that doesn't exude that type of personality to me to me but I think that that presents a dilemma and listen if we're both saying DeAndre Yellen's on the cusp of potentially getting benched if that's what we think then I mean they're gonna have to name a new captain and when he came off in this game he came off late and Harvey Neville came on against FC Dallas Serhi Kristoff got the got the armband I think Serhi could be captain material but I think there's two things Going against him. One, that he's really new to the team. Two, that his English isn't the best, right? So communication, which is a key element in being a captain, I think that that, that's a hurdle for him. 
I agree with you that I don't think there's a plethora there. I don't think there's an abundance of options for Phil Neville in terms of who can be the captain. But I, I think that there is a leadership void in terms of having one player out there on the field that can really help navigate this team. And I think we saw it, you know, because it's, it's not just on the field. There's an extension to it off the field as well. I think we saw it this weekend. Because neither, or not any one of, Leonardo Campana, Rodolfo Pizarro, or Joseph Martinez spoke to the press postgame. I went to the locker room, like I mentioned earlier in the pod, with Andrea, and we asked for those players, and when they walked by, each one individually at separate points, we called out to them and asked them for an interview. Joseph Martinez just walked right on by. Didn't even acknowledge us. And no, he did not have headphones in. Rolfo Pizarro walked by and he said, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek. But he was like, I didn't even play. Why do you want to talk to me? Andrea, very astutely, was like, well, you showered, right? And Rolfo responded, well, that's just because I'm clean. Or I'm a clean person. So he was just saying no in a nice way. In a polite way. Because he was saying, oh, there's others to talk to. We asked Campana. Campana said, no, no, not tonight. Also politely just said, just, you know, said no. So when the team's in a bad way, and yes, there's there's other circumstances regarding each of those players, but when the team's in a bad way, who's showing face? You know who spoke besides Phil Neville? The newcomer, relative newcomer to the team, Nicolas Stefanelli. And who spoke in the press conference? Young goalkeeper Drake Callender. Those are the people showing faces to the media after... A fifth consecutive loss. Nobody else is stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm going to do it. Or I'll talk. Every, the, the, the other key figures, the other referentes in the group, shied away. And listen, I get it after some losses, you know, you just, you just don't want to talk. I get it completely. But you don't get to just talk when you win. Or when you score. Or when, you know, it's all adulation and praise and things are going well. Being a professional means you also talk when things aren't going well. I think this was an example, a small example of a lack of overall leadership within the group that is also, also resintiendo el equipo, that's also hurting the team. I think that, I don't know how Phil Neville addresses that because there's not a whole bunch of options here, but that's something that needs to be looked at closely because they, they need someone. Maybe Trey Callender, maybe it's, you know, it's maybe it's his time because you know what? In his press conference, I saw a player that's ready to take on a bigger role within the group. The way he spoke, the way he talked about things, I liked it. I liked it. And I know you, you call me Drake Callender's agent or whatever, but look, he showed face. You know, I'm sure that they were like, who do we get to pick? Drake Callender had a good game. All right, we'll pick Drake Callender. Drake Callender could have said no. Drake Callender could have been like, no, I'm not going to speak. We're losing. I don't want to face the, the media. But he said yes, he accepted it. He took it on. Whereas these other key figures who are more veteran players than him did not. Well, I have so many things to say about this. All right, I, I don't even know I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Sh- share your thoughts and we'll close out the segment after that. I won't even rebuttal. I just want to hear you and then we'll close out the segment. We'll just leave the we'll let the listeners uh chew on what you've got to say and chew on what I've had to say and they can, <laughs> you know, come up with their with their own uh thoughts if they don't already have some already. Well, first off, I would say, you know, they are terrible teammates at that point when you don't talk to the media. They are terrible teammates because, you know, Inter-Miami is not only the players. 
Inter Miami is also related to the PR staff. And the PR staff, their job is to put players available for the media. So the PR staff, when we go to the locker room, they do the nice job of putting a, uh, a backdrop, calling the players from the locker room, bring them to the backdrop, and have them talk to the media one by one, very well organized. So that's their job, and they're doing their job. So if you're a good teammate, and I'm talking to the players that said no, if you're a good teammate, you have to be there for the PR staff when it's tough times, and you have to put up your face because your face not only matters when you win. You need, in the people that go to the stadium, La Familia, the ones that you praise, the ones that give, oh, that are so great, the best in the world, they need to listen from you when they have questions. And the media is the one, the, the one outlet that they go to when they demand answers to those questions. Right, we're an extension of the supporters, right, in the sense that we give them, yes, they have a voice now with social media, but in terms of getting answers from the players, that's why we have access. We're an extension of the questions that they have. We come up with our own at times, we come up with our own, we have our own ideas, but we're an extension of the overarching sentiment that fans have towards the team, generally speaking. And fortunately, that group of people that have the responsibility to go to the locker room and demand the to they, they have the responsibility to ask the questions that to and demand answers from the players unfortunately and this is a reality for mls and maybe not only for inter miami there's a lot of people that have media credentials that go to the stadium and they go to cheer and so they are only there when you have to praise the players when it's all happiness because, you know, as a fan, obviously, when you go to the stadium and the team is in the middle of a five-game losing streak, you go disappointed. So the one thing that you want to do once the game is over is just get out of there. Go home, think about something else, watch the Miami Heat, or do something else, just get out of Inter-Miami. But, you know, unfortunately, the group is not big enough, which is something that happens in some other places in the world where, you know, everybody takes the job seriously. And, you know, the group of, of media members that go to the locker room and demand answers from the players, it's bigger. So the players cannot get away from it. See? And that's not happening, unfortunately. The group is just too small. And the players are not helping their own teammates. Because everybody in the PR staff, it's their teammate. If Drake Calendar would have said, no, somebody else needs to go out there. The captain needs to go out there because they're going to be asking me questions that I don't have to answer. I played a good game. It's not on me. Trey Callender was a good teammate. So he's young and he would make mistakes in the future, but his teammates need to learn a lot from Trey Callender because he did put his face out there when it should have been not him and it should have been somebody else because, because the team wants good press and that's why they put the Drake calendar out there so that people will ask him questions about his, his good game. That was not the topic after the game on Saturday. The topic after the game on Saturday was that the team did not perform for the fifth game in a row. So Jose, you went on a tangent, which I liked, but you didn't answer my question. Do you think there's a lack of leadership in that locker room? 
I know you. I know you gave Yedlin. You know you think he, he's captain material. Do you think there is a lack of leadership though in that locker room without Gregory? Yes or no? Simple. Oh, it definitely showed a little bit. It definitely showed a little bit. You know, with the with the with the locker room situation. But I think there's there's names that they can step up. I think they can step up. And if that's the case, I think, you know, I think Gregory needs to be involved. I think Gregory needs to be around, and I think he's around. He needs to be around. He has been because, around. I've seen him. I've seen him on the. I don't know what you call those little, like the little scooter things. But he's in a he's in a yeah. cast, right? So he's like he's got one leg on that scooter type thing, and he's just like kind of hobbling around on it. So he is around, um, but Jeez, obviously, so but obviously, way. but obviously, it's limited. His his impact is limited. You know, he's not on the field. He's not in training. You know, he's just he's just there in the locker room. You know, and he's not he's not taking part on the field. So you know, he, there's only so much he can really say that's going to resonate. If he can talk in the locker room, I think that's something that can help. You know, if he can, if he's if he's in there before and after the match, I think that helps. Now on the field, I will point definitely to Yetlin. I think he needs to be the guy to to take the lead here. And you know, he's vocal with the referee. I've seen that, especially in, on Saturday, which is part of the deal. But you know, he needs to be vocal as well with some of his teammates. But you know, it's it's at the same time when you're not performing at a high level, and you go out there and you know you have a conversation. And you start with, you need to do this better. Then you're a little bit afraid that you know your teammate we're gonna is gonna come back to you and say like, yeah, you too. Right. You, you have to lead by example. And right yeah. now, are you saying he can, and you say that he's leading by example with his performance levels on the field? I don't no, think so. With the performance, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. But all right, we'll leave it there, Jose. We'll do a quick Q and A session after we take a quick break and the final thoughts. We'll do all that after this. Jose, Q&A time. We've gone longer than we expected, but we figured that was going to be the case, especially with uh, how eager you were on the WhatsApp chat that we had. So uh, let's go with Jason Siegel for the first question. And he says, what can you tell us about Dixon Arroyo? Is he a starting caliber talent or just a backup for Duke slash Uyoa? Also, does this signing mean we lost out on the Busquets sweepstakes? So this is something we haven't really talked about. We mentioned it in the first segment, and now we can uh, flesh it out a little bit. And that's that Inter Miami has been linked, and all signs are pointing to yes, it's going to happen. I mean, it's all but a done deal. That Dixon Arroyo, an Ecuadorian defensive midfielder, is set to sign with Inter Miami in the coming days. Now, for me, I've never seen him play, so I can't tell you is he starting caliber or not. But I'll tell you what I think. I don't think he's coming to be a backup for Duke Arroyo. I think he's coming to help be the starting defensive midfielder. Will he play to Gregory's level? No idea. But I think he will... The thought is that he will be an upgrade over Victor Ulloa. He's, he's played, I think, twice with Ecuadorian Ecuador's national team. So, I mean, he's not really an international. But, you know, if he got to that level at some point, then, you know, he has to have some qualities. So I think he'll be a starter once he gets up to speed and gets in, in the groove of things. We'll see how much he brings to the table on the field. I think it's an emergency signing, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, Chris Anderson and Phil Woodpile say in the press conference, we've been looking at him for a while and this and that. I think it's an emergency signing because, you know, they need somebody to replace Gregory. 
So, I, I mean, he could be a good signing. I mean, he's been a starter. He playing for MLX. Some of the, um, you know, the comments around him have they they have been really really good. Um, you know, when, whenever when it comes to a new player, and I think we all go to YouTube and watch highlights. You know, there are only so many things that you can pick up. Right, you know, right. you, you don't know how they can adjust to um, MLS and the level of uh, uh, the physicality of the league. It, it's completely different. You know, it's a it, it's a different level. So um, I think it's an emergency signing. I think they have a knowledge that they need to bring somebody in. And in regards to Busquets, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, we we've all thought that you know that Busquets signing it's it's one of those signings that might be linked to to Messi, if if that ends up happening. So I don't think Busquets is out of the picture, even with Dixon Arroyo coming in. I think you know there's plenty of room in that position in in Inter Miami in the Inter Miami roster right now. I wouldn't rule out Busquets, but I do think this makes it a bit tougher to to envision. But I wouldn't rule it out because again, Gregory before the injury and everything. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of smoke about him potentially being moved on. So that could still happen once he's healthy again. You know, they, they could move him on. So, uh, And then you have Busquets and Arroyo as your two uh, sixes or defensive midfielders, even though they're, you know, of different qualities. Uh, let's go to Elder Barr. He has a lot of questions, very interesting questions. And actually, we can we can pair it with Tank721. Uh, so I'll go with Elder Bar first. Is it worth talking about replacing Phil? Would Pizarro be a starter with Campana back? Which on-field player, if any, has been your MVP up to this point? Who has it worse currently, LA Galaxy or Inter Miami? A lot of questions from Elder Bar. <laughs> a lot of good questions from Elder Bar. Tank721 says, who do y'all believe will start the next match? The gaffer has 12 more days to figure it out. The schedule looks tough going deep into May. Are these the last few weeks for Phil Neville to lead the squad? So again, there's questions about Phil Neville's future. I think, you know, if you've listened to this podcast you're, and you've gotten to this point, you haven't heard us say that we think Phil Neville should be fired. And I think the reason for that is because I don't think he's going to be fired. I don't think he's going to be fired. Jose, I don't know if you think that, you know, if he keeps losing, he loses the Open Cup game, that he gets fired. I don't think he gets fired for... Yes. I think the Open Cup, they just can't <laughs> afford to, to, to drop that game. You said the same thing last year. You said the same thing last year. Yes, but they won the game. They, they were they they weren't necessarily the most deserving team. They weren't necessarily the the team deserving of the victory. But look. and I think it's even worse this year than last year, because this year I mean they they have I think they have a better team, especially at this point. If you go back, there was no Pozuelo, so they have a better team now than the one they put out there um, against Miami FC, and if they go. With, you know, with, uh, um, Inter Miami two players and role players into that game, I think that will be trouble. Well, well there's there's a challenge that week. There is because the the game is being played. If I'm not mistaken, it was announced this week that Inter Miami drew Miami FC. I believe it's being played on April 26th. Yes, which is a Wednesday at FIU Stadium. So. You know, if you want to see the Miami Classico, make sure you you start making your plans now to get out of work early because you'll run into traffic. I remember last year driving down with El Primo and um, his thirty uh, start. His, his uh, it's a seven thirty start, but still, if you're getting if you're getting out of work at five in Broward County and you gotta get your you gotta get down there or you gotta pick people up, you, you could cut it close. You could cut. I remember last year going with El Primo and we 
And we made it, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes before kickoff. I mean, Primo isn't uh, the fastest driver. Shout out to Steven <laughs> Primo Brenner. Um, nor, nor the best DJ. But anyway, I digress. I digress. We talked about that last year. Um, that week is tough for Inter Miami. They play away to Houston Dynamo on the 22nd, Saturday. Yeah. Then they return to South Florida to play four days later against Miami FC in a winner-go-home match, U.S. Open Cup game. And then they travel to play three days later at Columbus. That's a tough stretch, man. There's going to be a rotation there of some sort. You can't expect the same 11 or the same 14 players to, to start those three games. So there's going to be a rotation. I Listen, would say if they put out there, if they, if they go to Houston, they don't win the game, they, they go with six in a row, he's going to have to play starters against Miami FC. Because if he drops that game, he's in trouble. And it doesn't matter how it happens. If it's penalties, if it's extra time, if you got two red cards, there was there will be no excuse. I don't imagine Jorge Mas in a situation in which the game is televised locally, which you know is something that Inter Miami is not able to do anymore. Everybody in South Florida watches that game. When I mean everybody, I mean the soccer people in the South football Florida. Football fans. Yeah. Football fans watches that watches that game, and Miami FC wins against Inter Miami, and he's gonna be like, okay, it's fine, it's part of the process. We're gonna take some more time. Think he's gonna get better. Gregory will be back in five months. <laughs> no way. So I I think that's that's that could be a very important game. And listen, Miami FC is not doing really well in league play. So Miami FC. It's not the same team that they were last year. I, I would say they, they, they don't. They, they never, they never got to even after the the Open Cup game against Inter Miami. They, they, they never lift up. You know, they just they play the playoffs, but they were never a great team. And this year, I don't think they're better than last year. So that could be a game as well that you know can 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 bring some calm after the storm for for Phil because. They should win that game, to be honest. They should win the game if they play, you know, as close as you can get to your starters. Now, if you bring role players in and academy players, then I think you, you might even think south and then you're in trouble. So to the main point, and I, I do think the Miami FC game is worth talking about. We'll get to it in a little more detail as it gets closer. I don't think we've talked about replacing Phil because I just don't think it's going to happen. I personally don't think it's going to happen at this point in the season. One, I think for Inter-Miami's brass, it's just too early in the year to make such a decision. That doesn't mean I agree with that. That's just what I think they think. And I think they'll give him the benefit of the doubt without Gregory, without Campana for so many weeks. I think that they... They'll give him a longer leash than that, even though they're playing poorly. So that's why we haven't really talked about replacing Phil. L- listen, but it, it, Jose, it be- Jose, how, how, just quickly, quickly, so that we can share our opinions. How, how close would Phil be to getting fired if you were in charge? How close is he at this point? Uh, very close. I would agree with you. Very I close. would say he's he's on the brink. If it was me in charge. Yeah, if it was my decision, I think it's it's very close. And listen, I am I am not for firing coaches early in the season. I think you have to give them time. But I think the track record for Phil in in his time with Inter Miami is enough at this point. It's enough. 
So, um, I, I, in, in my personal opinion, I, I, I mean, I, I would be really, really close, really, really, really close. I just agree. because it's too messy, man. It's just too messy. I mean, I, I think Inter Miami, they haven't been able to establish an identity. And, and you talked about this in terms of, in regards to Phil, what is his identity? Now, think about Inter Miami. What's Inter Miami's identity? They don't, they don't have one. What What is Inter Miami? Is it an attacking minded team? Um, I mean, the ownership talks about winning championships, but do they reflect that on the field? Not even close. This team talked about this team talked about fighting for the top four spots in the Eastern Conference. There's a lot of season to go. They could bring in a midseason signing that turns it all around. But right now they're in twelfth place, so very very far from where they expected themselves to be at this point in the year in terms of how competitive they are. Uh, so listen, for me, it'd be very close as well. I think he'd be on the brink. But again, because he has strong ties to David Beckham, which we all know about, plus the fact that it's early in the year, and I wrote this again on the, on the piece on Miami Total Football Substack today, I just don't see it happening right now. I don't see it happening in two weeks if they lose to Miami FC. I think maybe July, August, if this this continues, if this type of the poor run of form continues, then yeah, then at that point, then you're talking like, okay, yes, it's it's a lot, a lot more clear then. There's a bigger sample size for the ownership group to make the decision. I don't think that they will, in their opinion, make a rash decision. I don't think it's rash, but I think that's how they would view it if they were to fire him now. Jose, very now, quickly. Remember this. But the Mass family are not necessarily football people. All right? They're becoming you know, football they, people. Yeah, but they're not. They're not. So they 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 might see things in a different way. They want to be successful. Right, but they listen. Now, they, you know, they listen to Beckham. Beckham is the soccer savvy guy. At some point, can, how can you how if you're David Beckham, how do you defend Phil? I call listen, I called Phil Nine Nine Lives Neville on a podcast. I don't remember what year it was, 2021 or 2022, probably 2021. Because I just don't see it, man. I don't see it happening. As much pressure as the fans could put, as much as we talk and talk about it, like as much as people could want it to happen, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yes, I could agree with you that deep down inside, maybe Jorge Jose Massa probably like, is this guy really the right man for the job? But they are in negotiations with Beckham. Beckham is a co-owner. Beckham is around. Beckham helps bring uh, fanfare and attention. So, you know, if it was just up to them, maybe Phil would be gone. But since David is around and that that relationship exists, you can't deny that there is a relationship between David Beckham and Phil Neville that goes back years to when they were teammates, their friends, their business partners uh, in, a, in a lower division club in England. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I think that they will give him the benefit of the doubt for a, a good while, whether it's warranted or not. Very quickly, I'll answer one of the other questions from Aldebar. I wish I could answer them all. But he says, which on-field player, if any, has been your MVP up to this point? For me, Gene Mota. Gene Mota. Christoph probably in the conversation as well, but I would say Gene Mota. Gene Mota, MVP? He said out of the field players. Field players. Oh, field players. Um... No, I wouldn't go with Mota. I think I think Christoph or or Negri. But then again, here comes trouble with me in my head because I look at Negri as a left back, and then I see him struggle, chasing the wingers all all, all over the field all, all for for the sixty minutes of the match, <laughs> and then that's where that that brings me trouble in my 
my sucker thoughts. But um, yeah, I would go with Christoph. I think Christoph would be my choice. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there for the Q&A session. We'll head to our final thoughts. Jose, I don't know if you want to talk more Miami FC. You're up first. I'll go, and then we'll finish the show after that. It's been a long one. Um, no, well, I think I already said what I wanted to say about the Miami Classico, but, you know, just, I think as we get closer, I can, can, um, we, we can talk more about this. It should be a fun night. It should be a fun night. And, um, once again, if you want to enjoy professional and, um, football in Miami between the two teams here in South Florida, I think that's a great opportunity. And last year, by the way, people, I started, um, you know, I'm not a Miami FC fan, like you said last year, but I just like the rivalry. I like the I like the the idea of the two teams facing each other once every year and making it out a rivalry. So we'll see if you know we can we can see this rivalry take the next step. If Miami FC wins that game, then you know I think we'll we'll, we'll be. We'll be talking about a real rivalry and not something that we we wish for. So that's your final thought? Yeah, that's my final thought. All right. So my final thought is on that I got to spend some time, and I was overdue this season, on spending some time with some of the members of La Familia. Why am I not invited to this? Bro, you're always invited, brother. You just don't show up. You just don't show up. And you're busy. You're a busy man. You're a TV guy now and stuff, so now you don't have time. But, like, I, I mean, I was going to say that. Like, at some point, I'd like to get Jose out there as well. I've been saying that for years. It's never happened. I'm the only one that ever goes out. I've never, you have never come yet uh, to, to one of these events. Andrea hasn't either. Uh, Steve never did. It would be nice to do so uh, at one point to get, you know, at least two of us out there. But it was nice to share some time with the supporters, especially members of Vice City and Southern Legion, who, who I spent a lot of time with uh, during that pregame festivity. You know, it was, it was there was some Easter egg hunts for the kids. There was parrillada. I had a chorizo, a uh, famous Vice City chorizo. I had a Southern Legion steak. It was delicious and it was good catching up with a lot of the listeners, a lot of people that follow the team and just seeing the familiar faces again. I was long overdue for that. So that was enjoyable. If I didn't see you, I hope to see you soon uh, because, you know, it's, it's always nice to, to talk soccer, talk football and hear what you guys have to think about the state of the team, whether we agree or disagree. So um, good to catch up with y'all. Plan to do it again soon. Won't be as long as it was. Uh, Bye. I don't drink, so I'm not going to take any beers away from y'all. Come on. <laughs> I don't say. Andrea drinks, though. So, yeah, he, uh, and she's, gonna, she's coming with me. <laughs> Jose, Jose has a mean appetite, though, so he might he might end up uh, grabbing more than one choripang from Vice City. So, you yeah. Know. <laughs> uh, I think taking more beer could be a, prob- a bigger problem. So <laughs> I'll take food. All right. Well, then that does it for this week's show. We were light on laughs, but that's because we had some very serious topics to talk about regarding this struggling and free-falling inter miami but we'll be back again next week and we will probably keep it shorter we'll average it out by doing a podcast that just focuses on the match that's coming which is again against the houston dynamo so for jose armando i am franco penizo you have been listening to miami total football radio we'll talk to you guys again next week